when we sing the opening hymn, you sing it and you don't hear too many other people singing because there's not too many close to you. So you sort of sing it like a solo. And that's the beauty of a small church. You develop to sing solos. You develop to do a lot of things. And that's the beauty of it all. Uh, so welcome and God bless you as we worship together. You notice that the title for today's sermon is, What is a Doctrine? <coughs> We're going to be probably surprised as we deal with that issue in a very unique way. So if I may just ask you to kind of respond to me, to you, what does it mean when you hear the word doctrine? Is there another word that you would like to put in there that may make it a little bit clearer what a doctrine is? What is a doctrine? It's a what? The rules of the church? The beliefs of the church? Anybody else? Come on. What does the word doctrine mean? God? God's expectations of us. Very interesting. We're going to have a very nice time today. You're going to be surprised. It's our identity? I suppose. It's a, it's a sort of a description of what studies you've had, which could be biblical and it could be doctrines of, could be almost anything. Doctrines of evolution, doctrines of whatever. Another one? Any group that you're a member of has a commonality, some beliefs, some codes, some... Very, that's a good, good illustration. Anybody else? Very interesting. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever been sort of like uh, doctrines again? Or have you ever heard some people say, you know, doctrines, put them away. That has nothing to do with the church. I'm now a believer in Christ. Christ and God loves me, and I love God, and that's all it takes. Have you ever had some people say that? Please? Very interesting. I said, 
very well put, as if we're going to indoctrinate doctrines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very well put. So now we're setting a stage here for us to kind of begin to think a little bit differently, and not only differently, but more broadly, to realize that the word doctrine could also mean beliefs, could also mean uh, uh, philosophy, could also mean what you have been taught and rules and regulations of uh, whatever. Interesting. So uh, I had the scripture read by Dan Murawski. And uh, Dan, if you can look again into your reading, I was rather surprised that I was waiting to have you read. And I, for a moment, thought you were reading a totally different verse. Okay, I am going to read what I have in the King James Version, John 7, verse 16. And who is it that promised that they're going to preach a sermon sometime on, the, on different versions of the Bible and how many things are being left out in some versions? Bonnie? Well, Bonnie and Willie aren't here today, but uh, that needs to be presented very shortly as soon as possible. Uh, I'm going to read verse 16 and 17 in King James, chapter 7, verse uh, and uh, John 16. Listen what it says, and you tell me, Dan, what you read, were the differences. Are you ready? Here it says, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but he that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So some doctrines are not of God, according to the King James verse, uh, Version, and uh, some is of God. What did you read? Teachings, okay. I suppose that could apply very well because teachings, doctrine, the Bible, and it is of God. Verse 18, let's look at 18. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Very interesting. So there's something about doctrine, teachings, beliefs that you and I must be firm in, settled in, and know what teaching is of God, which doctrine is of God, and which is not. So let me ask you another question. In fact, several questions real quickly. And that's as follows. What do you believe about God? If you were to be standing before a judge and a jury and a lot of people, and somebody asks you, what do you believe about God? What would you say? 
without a Bible in your hand or without a book that tells you what you're supposed to believe. What would you say that comes from you, from your mind, from your heart, and you can say, this is what I believe? Have you heard, have I told you about that man who was of another church and not a Seventh Adventist, and he was asked by a Seventh Adventist, what do you believe? And this man said, he didn't know very much. Oh, I believe the same thing that my church believes. It's a good answer. But this Seventh Adventist man knew how to ask questions. So he asked another question. So what does your church believe? And this man didn't know what his church believed. So he said, oh, my church and I believe the same thing. And this seventh minute asked him another question. So what does your church and you believe? Same thing. But you will have to answer someday, if not to your loved ones or to somebody special, that really, what do you believe? What do you know about God? What do you believe about God? And also, another question, who is he? Who is God? What is your concept of God? Is it one where you have only heard from people or have you read some books about God or, or did you actually find what God is like in the Bible? Another question, what does he expect, what does God expect of you? We studied a little bit about our Sabbath school lesson. And then another question, what is God really like? Have you ever really thought seriously what God is really like? Have you tried to bring God down to your concept of what God is like? Or have you allowed God, through his holy word, make you see God as a God that he says he is? Did you know that this is a real issue of heaven and earth, of all that God has ever created, of all the angels? Lucifer is really all about God. Is he who he is, who he says he is? What do we expect of him? So God told Moses something very interesting. He said to Moses that no man could see his face and live. That's what God told Moses. Because God, Moses wanted to see God. See him with his own eyes. Now, Jesus told Philip that anyone who has seen him, that's Jesus, has seen the Father. And many people have seen Jesus and weren't destroyed, they, they still lived. Interesting. And that's found in John 14, 9. Since Jesus walked among men, he became one of us. He took on human flesh. 
we are able to somehow perceive who God is and what God is like. And that's the reason Jesus came to this world. So the more you learn about what Jesus is like, the more you know what God is like. Now, I heard in my readings and people have said in sermons that uh, we will never, ever know everything about God because God has been, is, and always will be. You and I have been born without even asking anybody that we wanted to be born. Fortunately, we have the privilege of asking God to help us to be born again. But the first birth, we don't know. So somehow, you and I are going to have to see and how to perceive God in such a way that we know God the way God wants us to know him and not the way we think we should know him or the way other people think we should know him. It should be from the scriptures and the scriptures only. So we have a kind of a challenge this morning because we're going to do some thinking and sharing to see if we can have a kind of a better look on what God is really like. We know, we believe that God is love. He is kindness. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is just. He is benevolent. He is purity. He is righteous. And he is peace. And he tells us that I will give you peace and understanding and knowledge. So through Jesus Christ, we see God in a wonderful, beautiful, accurate way. And we are his children. And Jesus, when he was here on earth, had children on his lap. So we can see God wanting us to be close to him. To be accepted by him. We see Jesus weeping as he shares the sorrow of the mourners at the tomb of Lazarus. And if Jesus wept, he has revealed to us that God too weeps. And to think that God made you in his image and gave you the power of choice if you are in heaven, when Jesus comes, God will rejoice because Jesus rejoiced over and over again. He even rejoiced more over one sinner that repents than over the 99 that are in the church. Because in the church, it's wonderful that you are here, but the one who repents is great joy. Singing in heaven. So, Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Could it be that 
God will weep if we're not in heaven? Do you think some others will weep that have known you here on earth when you're not in heaven? Come on, let's, let's do some real thinking here. Let's, 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 let's get emotional. Not because emotions are the way, but when you know some facts, the emotions automatically come. For the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Some will perish, some will have everlasting life. Serious. And then we see Christ's love at a certain point when he was lifted up on the cross and he said, forgive them that put him on the cross for they do not know what they're doing. It's rather interesting that they crucified Christ and Christ prayed for them. And sometimes we look at the cross with Christ on the cross and we wonder why would people ever put Jesus, the Savior, on the cross and torture him? And you know what? When Jesus prayed for those that crucified him his prayer is also for you and me because he looks at us and he says you know father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and the more we know about God and his will the more we do his will and we know what we're doing so we have shared our vision of Christ by speaking and by behaving in a certain way. A vision that finds its focus at Calvary, where, according to Psalms 85.10, we're told mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Isn't that interesting how the... God, uh, Holy Spirit, impressed the psalmist to write. So at Calvary, where he became sin for you and me, he who knew no sin, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he might become the righteousness of God in him. He gives us righteousness. We believe that Every doctrine, that every belief, that every bit of information must reveal the love of God. And when we read the scriptures and read it very carefully, you will see a revelation of the love of God through reading the scriptures. Here, Christ with an unconditional love has committed himself to love us 
regardless. And he has done his part in loving us. No question about it. And uh, as you have read and we have shared, that when you really think of it, there's nothing else that God or heaven or Christ or the Holy Spirit can do to reveal more of God's love. It's up to you and me and every man, woman, and child on this mountaintop and in California, in North America, and in the whole world. Their responsibility is to respond to that love. So we are conscious, we are aware of our indebtedness to the rich biblical truths that we have in the scriptures. No question about it. And you know that it's rather interesting that when we study history, God has used some great men. And the Bible, Old Testament, is full of them. The New Testament is full of them. And then we have men that aren't even in the Bible because the Bible was written and it was closed with Revelation. John wrote it. But we have, according to history, people like Wycliffe, Huss, Luther, Tyndall, Calvin, Knox, and Wesley. All these men were used by God to reveal more clearly what God is like, who he is, what he expects of you and me. And we can thank the Lord for them. In fact, some of those men were godly men to the place where we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for what God has used them to reveal to us. And then we also understand that our knowledge of God is progressive. We are learning constantly. In fact, in Proverbs 4.18, King James Version, it says, The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto a perfect day. Just like light. And incidentally, they have bulbs now that you put on the light, and it's dim. And then it keeps on getting brighter and brighter and brighter. It's rather interesting that the world is trying to help us to develop patience. We put on the light, we want it on right now. In fact, my wife and I have debating as to what kind of bulbs we should get. And I says, get those that save us some money. Those that you put on and they don't shine all at once. And here, 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 we're told, I'm sure somebody must have got this idea in Proverbs 4.18, how to make bulbs that sort of shine brighter and brighter as time goes on. So we have the guidance of a clearly stated Holy Spirit guiding the men of old to tell us what God is like. Unfortunately, there are so many people that have their own opinions and sometimes if they're not according to the scriptures, in a certain version, certain way, they could be way off. And Lucifer has a way of making sure. Remember, he was the instigator in heaven, 
telling the angels that God is not what he says he is. Lucifer was trying to tell the angels what he thought God was like. And I'm here to tell you, be very careful that whatever you say about what God is like, what Christ is like, that is biblical. Otherwise, if you try to tell somebody that's not biblical, according to what God is like, you could be really doing exactly what Lucifer did in heaven. And look at the results. In fact, let me read to you something very interesting found in Christ's object lesson. It says this, if you search the scriptures to vindicate your own opinion, you will never reach the truth, period. Wow. You mean to tell me that if I begin to look in the scriptures to prove my own opinion, to prove a point, or to prove that I really know something, I'll never know the truth? Let's read further. Search in order to learn what the Lord says. I tell you, friends, to me, this is also divine counsel. The Holy Spirit must have impressed the little girl to write this. Further, it says, if conviction comes as you search, if you see that your cherished opinions are not in harmony with the truth, do not misinterpret the truth in order to suit your own belief. But accept the light given. Open mind and heart that you may behold the wondrous things out of God's word. Again, pointing to God's word, to God's word, to God's word. That's the only safety we have. So we have not a creed or a statement of beliefs set by this church in a way where we say this is what you have to believe in order to become a member. I'm happy that this church gives you the freedom to search, to look, and even realize that maybe God has put in the Bible for us to read and read and read and sometimes we don't understand everything and then all at once current events, something else happens and we say, now I understand it. It's progressive. It's where we're growing. And uh, Crystal, you referred to it several times and Angelina and Cherie and so forth that yes, we're all growing. But let's grow. Let's make sure that we're growing. Not feel that we have now grown, that we don't have to grow anymore. So we don't have what we would call a philosophy, a code of beliefs that we say this is it or else. We do have only one as a church right here in Crestline. And I think as a whole church around the world. And that is the Bible and the Bible alone. All the other things are just helps in a way to look and study and read and be inspired as well. So biblically based, Christ-centered 
Belief is what we're all about. And if you allow God's Holy Spirit to guide you, lead you, I can guarantee you that God so loved Christ, gave his life, the Holy Spirit will guide you in all the truth, you're guaranteed of having eternal life. But it's up to you to make sure you have that guarantee through God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So, if I may go a little further, we believe with a very deep conviction that all doctrines, all teachings, all beliefs, when properly understood, center on Him, the way, the truth, and the life. You're guaranteed that. And they are very important beliefs, doctrines. In fact, may I inject this thought right now here, and that is the doctrines, the teachings, beliefs of the Bible reveal more clearly what God is like. So if you ever hear the word doctrine, don't, don't feel like some people, hmm, because that's, that's doctrines are teachings, beliefs from the scriptures. There are a lot of people that actually try to dissect the Seventh Adventist and sometimes they get into the Seventh Adventist church and cut it to pieces. And I, you know what? I feel very sorry that that happens. And some, believe, some people believe in that more than they believe in searching the scriptures to find out what the Bible says about God, about Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about you, about me, about heaven, and about Lucifer. So it's centered on the way, the truth, and the life. Doctrines define the character of God that you and I serve. When you look at all the doctrines of the scriptures and you look at them, they reveal quite, not quite a bit, but a lot about what God is really like. Creation that tells you exactly what God is like. In seven days, he created the heavens and the earth. Step by step. There it is that tells you a lot about what God is like. Take the state of the dead. That's a doctrine, isn't it? It's a teaching. It tells you what God is like. Have you heard of a lot of organizations and one that I used to belong to, the Catholic Church, that says, no, 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 no. The Bible, yeah, but here is what the state of the dead is. You either go to heaven or you go to hell or you go to purgatory where you will be perfected in order to be ready for heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. And then in hell, you stay in hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and you burn forever and ever and ever. That says a lot about God. Is that what God is like? No. The Bible tells us clearly. So you, you understand what I mean by sometimes we get the idea, I'm fed up with doctrines. I, just a minute. 
Are you fed up with the teachings of the Bible? And there is a trend within churches, Catholic, Protestants, and even Seventh Adventists, that seem to make you feel like, you know, don't worry about those doctors, those doctrines. In fact, I'll be very frank with you. That person is not here now who was in this church and uh, simply made it clear in the whole congregation. Ah, forget about those doctrines. I believe in God and, and, uh, and God is love and as long as we have love and a relationship that's great, that's all it takes. So you can't minimize certain things. God wants us to know him and know him according to his will. Then, of course, you and I want to make sure that we have a deeper relationship with Christ through the study of the Bible. Knowing him and his will is vitally important for you and me, especially in this age where there is all kinds of deceptions. All kinds of things are going on. And empathy, where people, it doesn't matter, it doesn't, I don't care, so what? It doesn't matter which way it goes. We're told that there are people who are like savage wolves, the Bible talks about it. We will come speaking, they will come speaking perverse things in order to subvert truth and destroy the faith of God's people. God has a people, and there are people who don't like God's people. Lucifer doesn't like God's people. Satan doesn't like God's people. God likes God's people, and God wants all the people to become God's people, and Satan wants all people to become Satan's people. And it's coming to the place now where you're beginning to see more and more and clearer that there is a division to where God's people are more like God's people. And Satan's people are becoming more like Satan's people. And it's out in the open. And you're seeing it everywhere. More so than ever before. So, in Ephesians 4.14, it says something very interesting. That in the last days, there's going to be a real deception. Caring about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men. Ephesians 4.16 tells us clearly that it's going to go on. So God's government, God's character, God's purposes are going to be attacked in a very forceful way. And only those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the scriptures will be able to stand in the final conflict. You will be tested on your own. Alone. You won't have a church behind you. You won't have your family behind you. You're going to have God in you to help you 
So make sure that you understand what God is really all about. And then finally, you and I recognize that Christ-centered doctrine performs three obvious functions. Number one, it edifies the church, and Christ is the head of the church. Second, it pre preserves the truth. And third, it communicates the gospel to all and in all its richness. So true doctrine calls for far more than just a belief. It calls for action. And that's what we studied about in our Sabbath school. You can say a lot of good words, but it's who you are and what you do that really counts. So, little feedback. How does doctrine sound to you now? How does the teaching of the scriptures sound to you now? How do you feel about God and how wonderful he is? That he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son and the Holy Spirit to lead you into all the truth. And when you have God, Christ, and God's Holy Spirit, you can't go wrong. You can go right, and as I said at the beginning, to do his will. Make sure you know what God's will is for you. Do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have given us a mind to be able to think, ears to listen, and then have our mind sort of think through and rationalize and realize how reasonable you are. So much that you have even said, come, let us reason together. Help us through your Holy Spirit to reason correctly, to be more dedicated to what the Bible says about you, about Christ, how he revealed your character and how the Holy Spirit will lead us as it has led the men of old to write what's in the scriptures. That same spirit will lead us heavenward and prepare us to be ready for heaven and to be ready for the second coming of Jesus as the Bible so clearly tells us. So bless every person here. And bless those that we know are going to come to this church. Bless those that have left this church to visit other churches and to become members. And some of those that have gone astray, we pray that you will guide them also in all the truth in such a way that they too will be saved. For we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.